0: Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN with another at-home episode of the Take 10 Podcast. We continue to work from home and continue to push out episodes and and land new guests. And we have a pair of new guests this week here on the Take 10 Podcast. One who was a really good player for Minnesota across four years. And Carter Coughlin, the linebacker who was drafted by the New York Giants a couple weeks ago, about a month ago now. And uh, the second guest is, like we tend to do, uh, at an internal person at BTN. A lot of times we have our researcher Harold Shelton on, but we mixed it up a little bit this week to uh, hear the, the voice and the story of someone who has not been on the show, but who I interact with quite a bit at, at the network, and that's Alex Birchie, the senior coordinating producer of live events at BTN. All-around great dude and somebody who really... Uh, understands a lot of uh, what makes BTN tick and what makes the sports industry tick and knows a, a lot about not only his role, obviously, but uh, takes an interest and has, has uh, become very well informed about what we do uh, in other departments at Big Ten Network. So I want to pick his brain a little bit. Um, his interview is coming up after the Carter Coughlin interview. We will get to the Carter Coughlin interview first, however great discussion with him about uh, what he's doing to stay ready to start his rookie year in the NFL and talked about his favorite memories from a career in Minnesota that saw pretty much the uh, entire rebuild of that program into uh, a really powerful Big Ten West contender and a career that kind of culminated in a dream season his senior year last year for the Gophers. So car coffin's coming right up. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. You can build a solid foundation in the strategic, creative, and analytic skills that are essential for success in the business of sports in the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Really good opportunity there for people who are looking to work in the sports industry, maybe work at a place like BTN, check it out. Now, Carter Coughlin. I am very pleased to be joined by the newest member of the New York football giants, former Minnesota golden gopher star linebacker, Carter Coughlin. Carter, what's up, man? What's happening? Not a lot, not a lot. Just kind of a lazy Sunday here in Chicago where are you right now? Are you open in, uh, in Minnesota? I know you're an Eden Prairie guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm in Minnesota right now. Um, we've been spending the last probably month or so up, up north at our cabin in Pequot Lakes, but I'm now back in the Eden Prairie. Um, and yeah, just riding this thing out.
0: For sure. So set the scene for me. You were drafted in the seventh round by the Giants, like I said. Where were you? Were you at the cabin? Who was with you? And what was kind of the reaction in the room?
1: yeah I was at the cabin with uh with my family and then um three of my really really close friends that i've known forever uh, and so you know we were just we were just waiting it out We were uh every single day you know glued to the t v and waiting for that phone call and then it finally came, and now i'm a New York football giant for
0: sure and i I was kind of wondering you know when it gets to the third day, obviously everyone wants to be drafted but how difficult was it to wait till day 3 i mean i worked it just like as a as someone in in sports and it felt long over those 3 days especially kind of with this unique setting at home in quarantine so i can't imagine like waiting on something like that to determine your future what was that like
1: yeah i mean it was crazy um but you know it was one of those things where you know i talked to my agent i was like listen my mindset is i just want to end up on the right football team whoever wants whoever wants my skill set i don't really care how i get there so um and so, you know, that's that's easier said than done. Sometimes to have that that mindset, because once the rounds start going past, and you're just waiting for that phone call, it starts to build up. Um, but you know, I, I was just trusting that God was going to put me on the right team, and um, and now I'm a New York Football Giant.
0: So I'm sure the question has been asked several times by now. Your last name's Coughlin. Tom Coughlin's a very famous coach in Giants history. How soon was that question asked, and, and what, did you, uh, what did you say when people asked if you were related to Tom Coughlin?
1: Yeah, that question was asked off the rip. That was the first question asked, I think. Um, and I told everybody I'm not related to him uh, that I know of. Who knows? We could be distant relatives, um, but as far as I know, we are not related.
0: I mean, he did pretty well there. It's not, not a bad thing to go in there with, with that last name. So uh, I was looking at the Giants' schedule You guys, uh, week eight, face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the reason that game sticks out is because you'll be going against a couple of your old teammates and Antoine Winfield and Tyler Johnson. And uh, the Bucs drafted a ton of Big Ten guys, so there will be more familiar faces you'll go against. So will there be any, like, bets or trash talk ahead of that game? Do you guys even uh, say anything yet? Like, did you realize that?
1: Yeah, no, we haven't haven't talked about it yet. I think uh, (laughs) right now everybody's just trying to – to make sure that we're in the opportunity to, to be out there playing against each other, you know? Um, but I'm sure that, that when that time comes, there's going to be trash talking there's going to be all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I'm super close with, with Ty and, and Antoine. So I'd be, I'd be shocked if there wasn't a bunch of trash talking.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're familiar with Tampa stadium beat Auburn down there in the Outback bowl. Um, awesome game and an awesome Outcome for the Big Ten and for Minnesota. What was your sideline reaction to to Ty's one hand catch in that end zone? Uh, you know, watching that from the front row seat, you had.
1: Man, that was that was an unbelievable catch. Um, but the reality is, that's Tyler Johnson. I mean, he's he's that kind of playmaker. So uh, so nobody was surprised, but but the sideline was going crazy after he caught that one.
0: You had an unbelievable year, obviously for your senior year, and. You know, so many moments, I'm sure, led up to to your uh, kind of culmination season there. If you could rank maybe two or three of your best moments, you know, it could be a personal play or it could be something that uh, the entire team went through. Give, give me a few off the top of your head from what was the special season for Minnesota.
1: Um, You know, I'd say off off the top of my head, I can't get the Penn State win out of my out of my my mind, you know what I mean like I can vision it right now um, that's like that's what I dreamed of the University of Minnesota being like that's what I dreamed of the fans being like and winning big games like that, having people rush the field you know that's that was that was my that was what I dreamed of when I was a little kid you know what I mean so um and so without a doubt that that was one of my greatest memories of college um, but you know something not so I mean, yes, football related, but not in that way. Um my roommate Clay was a Clay Geary was a walk on and uh this su- last summer we were at a Twins game and um we got to throw the first pitch, me and my roommates and then Clay got a scholarship uh during that. And so that's another memory that's that's so deep and and so real for me cuz Clay's one of my best friends. He was up there when I got drafted and uh, and so just, you know, stuff like that, like as cool as some of the on-field stuff is, there was some incredible off the field stuff too. That was really special.
0: Yeah. Thanks for reminding me about that. Clay's actually been on the show. I talked to him in Minneapolis during like our bus tour stop. And uh, we, that was right <laughs> after he'd gotten that scholarship, of the twins game. So we went over that. He's a, he's a great dude. Um, yeah. and you, you bring up, you know, you bring up Penn state, obviously that was kind of the, the uh, one of the peaks of your season. Another current teammate, or, you know, future teammate, I guess, since you guys haven't all linked up yet, but it's, it's Saquon Barkley. Big Penn State guy, obviously. And, you know, I hate to bring it up. I think it was probably your freshman year. He walked it off against you. So, you know, when you see him, you at least have that comeback now that that you guys got Penn State back in your senior year.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, and Cam Brown, too, he's a, he's a linebacker with me. And so I'm, I've been able to get to know him and connect up with him as we've been doing these virtual meetings and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, I got a couple of Penn State guys, part of the New York football giants.
0: You got indefinite bragging rights now, for sure.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: Uh, so, you know, I, I saw when I was doing some research on you, realized that you, you were named uh, the Big Ten Medal of Honor winner, given to the best athlete at each school. So congrats on that. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And you you know, you're, your dad played football at Minnesota. Your mom like tennis, your grandpa, you know, your uncle uh, played football as well. Your grandpa was, I think, the, the AD for a while. And, you know, you're, you're like the ultimate legacy student. So who would have given you the most crap out of your family if you didn't end up in Minnesota?
1: <laughs> Probably grandpa, honestly. Um, my parents were super supportive, and so was grandpa. Grand, like, grandpa was so excited for all the opportunities that I had. But, um, but he gave my dad a pretty hard time when – my dad and my mom took me to Ohio State. So uh, so I think he would have had the the toughest time with it, but all of them were still crazy supportive. Yeah, you,
0: you mentioned I, I saw uh, in some articles over the years how like there'd be a in the history of Minnesota football and you're you know you're well rounded in that history, there'd be like a glimmer or a quick peek and then the program would kind of slide and hit a rough patch again. Obviously, Minnesota's now back at one of those peaks, probably, um, you know, their best in a long time. Why do you think this time will be different and that it'll be able to sustain under, under what Coach Flex built there?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the reason that it's going to sustain and it's actually going to continue to grow a lot more, as, as cool as this season was, I'm really looking forward to go for football, blowing this season out of the water, to be completely honest with you. So I'm excited to be a fan again because it's been a little while. Um, I'll be removed it's going to hurt a little bit not playing but I know that it's going to continue to grow because of the way that coach Flex built the culture there and um, you know when you talk about culture that's every single minor detail that has to do with the program and a lot of people throw the world the word culture out there but University of Minnesota takes it really seriously and uh, and, and you know when you look at the way that, that it's established it starts from the ground level it's, it's done with a great foundation. And that's where, you know, we've been able to finally build on some, some success. The first couple of years, it was, it was that whole, we called it the dig. You, you have to lay the foundation of the culture. And then eventually after that, you can start putting up the framework and see the fruits of the labor. And so that's what I think people got to see this year, even though we knew it was coming. Um, and it's going to continue to grow even bigger.
0: It's so true you guys uh, at Minnesota to take it seriously in the culture that, that Fleck is instilled there. Like, that's one of the things that stands out when you go on campus and talk to the guys. Like, everyone's bought in. The slogan's on the walls and, and everything that goes into it. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when Flex started and, I mean, you were in that, that dig phase of it, did anyone not buy in? Were there people who thought it was kind of corny, the whole, you know, Flex just different approach to it? What was, uh, what was that like when he was trying to overhaul things?
1: Yeah, there's 100%. Uh, a lack of buy-in and that's that's what happens anytime you get a new coaching staff you know you have you have all these relationships the coaches leave and you have to build new relationships and you know and it, coach Fluck always said like you guys didn't choose me I chose you and so you know like coach Fluck comes in talking about row the boat and it's like you know what is what does that even mean um, and in terms of the buy-in it it took a little bit because it's you know it's something that you can you can fake it until you make it but um eventually it got to the point where if you weren't bought in you just stuck out on our team and that's where we had some some turnover in terms of guys on the roster and stuff like that guys leaving the program but um but eventually it got to the point where everybody was bought in and then we could finally start you know really really building the program and so but to be completely honest with you it wasn't something that i just jumped into i was like yeah let's do this thing like it it took a little while it took took a while to understand why coach Fleck does it the way that he does, why the foundation is so important, why the culture is so important. And as you can see it, it, it all pans out and it really is important. And,
0: you know, sometimes guys like you who are leaders, you know, throughout a rebuild through the tough times, sometimes the players don't get to see it through the, you know, the, the culmination of that or, or the great season that eventually comes along. Um, you know, I've talked to guys that, that maybe graduated too early. Um, just, you know, the, the timing wasn't right. And, and the, the peak wasn't reached until, uh, they were already gone. So I imagine like for you, it had to be extremely satisfying to kind of see it all the way through.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it, it, uh, the satisfaction is just that, you know, I, I was, I was a part of, of building Minnesota to what I wanted it to be. You know what I'm saying? When I committed, like, yeah, you know, I've had pride in the university of Minnesota since I was a, an infant you know what I mean like um and so so just being able to be a part of you know building that foundation and and you know I give a huge shout out to the guys that were you know seniors coach flex first year like that was a really tough year of football and tough year to finish but those guys were a huge part of laying down that foundation and everybody before and so um it's, it's just really exciting to see the the trend that the University of Minnesota is going in and uh, obviously, it's going to take a lot of continued work and focus and all that kind of stuff, but I have no doubt that um, the guys, the leaders on the team, all that kind of stuff will continue it.
0: Another guy you'll be reunited with uh, likely is uh, Ryan Connolly, your teammate from Eden Prairie, uh, was, was a Badger himself. Did you give him a hard time when you guys took that ax or junior year?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, he was actually really cool about it. He texted me after the game and said, hey, that great game, whatever, because, you know, for both teams, that game means a lot, so it hurts when, you know, when the other team wins. Um, but he was super respectful about it and texted me and Cashman and said good game. So, um, so you know, didn't give him a whole lot of crap. It was more just a, a mutual respect, you know what I mean? Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm 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 really excited to get to work with him to play with him again. Uh, I've been able to talk to him on the phone. He's given me a little lay of the land in terms of you know the the New York, New Jersey area and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's cool uh, and it's it's going to be exciting to be able to learn from him and obviously he's a heck of a linebacker, so i've got a lot of things that I think he could he could teach me and, and help me to you know continue to excel on the field so so yeah he's a he's a great resource for me
0: Out of curiosity was uh, did you graduate yesterday was that or, was you, or had you already graduated before that
1: no, I graduated in december
0: okay, I was just curious because my uh I have twin cousins and they actually graduated from Minnesota yesterday. So I was on a zoom with them and, you know, realize you guys are probably the same age and, and a whole lot of grads are going through right now, kind of in a weird time. Um, so at least you probably got to walk the stage, right? Did you at least get to have a ceremony in person?
1: No, I I didn't walk. Um, there was a lot going on during that time. You know, I was like football Focus on, yeah, (laughs) like football. Exactly. And so I, you know, I was like, I told my parents I was like listen I don't really want to walk if you guys really want me to I'll I'll do it but I don't really want to wait you know the five hours whatever I could I could be watching film and getting ready to play Auburn during that time and so that was kind of the the mentality behind it and super super proud and um thankful that I got to you know receive education from the University of Minnesota the greatest college in the country but um but at the same time you know I was I was ready to play Auburn, and you know, didn't want didn't want to go through that whole ceremony.
0: Yeah, not gonna lie. Like I felt, I obviously feel terrible for all the college graduates who didn't get the whole experience and are missing out on like the the second half of their senior year. But the one thing that I did not, you know, enjoy that much was the ceremony. Like you said, it, it took forever. It, it was hot. It was not all it's cracked up to be. So that's like, you know, I don't want to say students caught a break because the rest is terrible, but. That's not the worst thing to miss out on. Not going to lie.
1: Yeah. Ex- seriously. I'm with you.
0: All right. Uh, Carter, going to wrap up just one or two more questions. Uh, I got to know just with team dynamic and you guys all seemed pretty tight in like who's the player or, uh, you know, a couple of guys who might drop a, a, a funny quote or meme or something goofy in the group chat. Who, who's someone who's always just kind of clowning uh, as you guys stay in touch now, um, you know, while you're keeping your distance.
1: Yeah, I'd say, um, I'd probably say Chris Williamson. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a group chat that we've been talking in, and, and Chris is a funny dude. He's he's a he's got a big personality. He's always smiling, joking around, and Co- Coach Fleck would definitely echo that too. I mean, Chris 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 was one person that could could get Coach Fleck to laugh. So um, you know, he's he's been clowning around quite a bit, and and then in the D line group chat, probably. Uh, my boy Rashad Chaney, who's still there, and Tayon uh, Teon Devers, they go back and forth with each other, um, giving each other a bunch of crap. So so the group chats during this time are still popping off, that's for sure.
0: All right, what are you doing besides football during quarantine, besides hanging out at the cabin? You you're a big TV show guy? What do you got going on?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I, I watched Money Heist, uh, earlier during quarantine, but I'm going to be completely honest with you right now with the way that our schedule set up, I have zoom meetings in the morning, workouts in the afternoon. And by that time it's, it's dinner. And then I review my notes and kind of get ready to go to sleep and hang out with my family. So that's, that's it right now. I mean, I, it's a real nine to five and wouldn't want it any other way. Cause I was kind of getting bored. So I will like learning football learning the scheme all that kind of stuff that's exciting to me so as much as I'd like to say you know I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff with my free time there's there hasn't been a whole lot of free time since uh since I got drafted and wouldn't want it any other way
0: yeah you got kind of an important job coming up so I'll uh, I'll let you go exactly I'll let you go let you let you get to it and uh get back in the zone appreciate you taking some time man best of luck hopefully we can get you back on the
1: field soon yeah thank you very much
0: All right. Thanks once again to Carter for joining the show. Appreciate his time and his, uh, his enthusiasm for that interview. Always a fun guy to talk to at media days or wherever we cross paths. And it was fun getting him on the show for the first time. Best of luck to him going forward. All right. Now we'll get to an interview with ETN senior coordinating producer for live events, Alex Birchie, uh, Birchie as we call him, uh, I introduced the top of the show, is a very well-rounded guy, an employee at BTN, well respected, and uh, definitely someone who I think people want to hear from, someone who's had a cool career so far with uh, likely a lot left in the tank. So we'll kick it over now to Take 10 Podcast interview with Alex Birchie, Senior Coordinating Producer of Live Events at BTN. Starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined by Alex Birchie, the Senior Coordinating Producer of Live Events at BTN. And Alex, first of all, uh, people can't see you because we're not releasing this in video format, but you have uh, some battle scars from quarantine. It, it sounds like and looks like quarantine's got a little dangerous for you.
2: A little too much roughhousing with my six-year-old daughter. I have a, right now, if you were able to see me, which you are able to see me, I have a kind of a bloodshot right eye um but or left eye I guess as the case may be uh but beyond that I, I expect it to heal in a week and I'll be back to full speed
0: what is it with you and eye injuries I feel like you've had multiple and I've heard about them over the I'm years I'm really
2: impressed I'm really impressed with you I was just thinking this is my same child who scratched my cornea I've gone to the I, I was so proud of myself for about 15 years of my life I never got sick never had, and then I had kids and I was like on a first name basis for people in the ER at, uh, at our local hospital. But two two eye injuries for my same, my older daughter. Yep.
0: Unbelievable. Well, uh, I don't know. You have to start wearing something like Horace Grant, Rex Beck, something like that. From Very now on. timely.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Um, though, how is it quarantining with kids? Because I, I've kind of gone back and forth throughout the uh, last couple months thinking about what period in my life that this would hit me maybe not the hardest, but how how it would affect my life. And since I have no real responsibilities outside of work, I'm accountable to nobody really except myself. I, 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 uh, appreciate that, you know, this is happening selfishly at a time like this in some regards. Uh, and then I imagine what it'd be like to have kids, especially small young kids like you have. So have you thought about that? Like what, what time in your life, this type of, uh, event would happen and how it's kind of impacted you?
2: It's funny, I have thought about that a lot, and I feel like I'm at the optimal time for this to happen. Like, what's the difference? Like, I think about kids who are, you know, we, we deal with college sports. I think a lot about kids who are just graduating from high school, or kids in college, or people are just out of college, who are looking for a job. And I think how tough it might be for them. And I'm like, you know, I'm 41. Like, what's the difference between 40, 41, 37, 46? You know, they're all kind of, all kind of blend together. But in terms of taking care of kids, both my wife and I work full time. I've commandeered the guest bedroom. She has our bedroom. The smartest thing we did was like the first day of quarantine or you know that our offices were canceled. We went on Amazon and bought the cheapest office furniture possible because we had basically no set up for an office. So we're good there. Um, we're kind of certainly co-parenting. Um, I mean, I guess we always co-parent in theory, but, um, but during the day and my, my, generally my day is scheduled around my two children's Zoom classes. Uh, or zoom. I mean, like they have very active zoom socialized. So once we get by that, we're okay. But you know, I give credit to their teachers who, who do an amazing job of keeping them occupied.
0: Yeah. The homeschooling thing I think is what would, uh, what would affect me most is trying to be accountable for somebody else's responsibilities and education along with, with my work uh, responsibilities. And it's really, it's really tough because you're, you're uh, trying to, you know, Think about what you're missing out on, you know, selfishly uh, at, at, as somebody in their mid-20s, but I'm, like you pointed out, really glad that I'm not trying to enter the the workforce, especially the sports industry right now. It's just so tough. I'm glad I'm not in college like my little brother is going to, uh, you know, down at U of I and, and missing out on classes and missing out on graduations. I think the optimal age would probably be, you know, someone in their, their 50s, maybe with kids that are a little older. I thought about my parents and how they're staying home and and you know their kids are all kind of grown uh, grown up enough where they don't have to, to do too much, so I think that's the optimal age, but it's it's good to hear that uh, you know your kids aren't giving you too much trouble besides injuring you
2: besides the injuries, you know everything else is being <laughs> right besides the near the near trip to a hospital um we're in good shape here
0: all right, so you've also had time you know outside of your normal work responsibilities, which we'll get to in a second, because I do want to hear more about what you do on a day-to-day basis, but you've had time to update BTN employees via email with some daily briefings, and I'll let you describe what they are, because basically you've been sending us videos, catching everyone up on the news of the day, and and for you, I think it's been a good way to stay in touch with a lot of people who are uh, normally in your Rolodex.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm impressed that you don't have like a setup in your email that automatically sends those emails to trash. But, um, and I think I might be the only one still watching, but like I originally started as a way really for people to see my face, I turned off the video for the past week due to the eye, current eye situation, but, um, but really just to stay in contact with a lot of people, you know, certainly a lot of our announcers, our producers and directors um, are not necessarily full-time employees, but they're working you know, a ton with us. Um, and just really, one, doing it for basketball primarily now and, and kind of switching over to doing a little for football, but really keep people engaged in, in what we're doing, the news of the day. There's certainly a lot of news every day in, in college basketball and, and, and certainly more as we move toward the football season. But um, to keep people up to date, to keep people, you know, there's a lot of content that you and, and everyone else in the digital team has been putting out on a, you know, I should wouldn't even say daily on a minute by minute basis that I want to make sure everyone is, is seeing. Cause it's fun. It's, you know, I'm super proud of the stuff that, that your group does. Um, and it's just kind of fun for me to do, right. gives me something to keep me uh, occupied and engaged in, in the big 10 sports world um, and and kind of share it and hopefully help people uh, at BTN a little.
0: All right. So I imagine your day-to-day has changed quite a bit with no live events to uh, coordinate the production of at a senior level. So explain, if everything's normal, what's your role? What does what uh, your role entail, really?
2: Yeah, so so I primarily, um, I oversee different sports in each season, football, men's basketball, softball, men's across in the spring. Um, and so my, my role is scheduling our producers, our directors, um, our, our announcers, um, kind of, and preparing uh, each week uh, for whatever games had. So in football season, football and basketball are very different football. There's a very, very good cadence to the week, right? All the games are basically on Saturday. Um, we're thinking about how, uh, what facilities to, to put how many cameras, to what people to put in which game, um, and prepare kind of the editorial thought of what we're going to do, um, you know, constantly trying to get better and looking at things we did the last week uh, and trying to make it better. The following week, I always so I always like football because on Monday I always say we look back and, and after that I'm able to look forward to this week's games where in basketball I'm kind of just had I always joke that fingers crossed that we get on the air every night. Um, but it's a little bit more of a focus on on our bigger games and the bigger, you know, especially in a year like this where we had so many teams that were good so many teams that we ranked it was, you know, multiple felt like multiple times a week we had top 25 matchups on, on BTN um, that were Kind of a focus um, that might be higher watched, and uh, but kind of really just kind of what our plans are. We're gonna do things differently, um, but basically, if I'm doing my job, once the game starts, I sit back and I watch like everybody else um, because the people we have producing the game calling the game. Uh,
0: yeah, one uh, experience and one peek into your world that always sticks out to me is when you were giving me a ride back from Indianapolis a couple of years ago after the Big Ten football championship and you're having me check on your phone like the American Airlines app to see if one of your announcers had like made it to Omaha or something because you know if they hadn't and there's the weather affected the flight then you'd have to find a backup on the fly and so how much of your job is stressing about things like that because I just found that like one of those mundane things just uh you know it was kind of a small thrill to see if this guy had landed in Omaha on
2: time yeah those those are not like the best days of my job but those are um part of it, you know, travel, it's kind of what we signed up for, right, in terms of travel in the Midwest in December and January. Um, uh, So, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things, right, a lot of little things like that, um, making sure that people get to where they are, that there's not other um, issues. We have have a whole remote operations team, which are amazing, uh, and it's a Big group who makes sure that a lot of the logistics are taken care of. So basically, I don't have to worry about it and can focus on more of the editorial stuff. But ultimately, you know, sometimes there's decisions I have to make, and um, whether it's someone not getting there or someone unable to do, you know, a job, and um, you know, those things come up.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything off the top of your head, like one of the more wild sets of circumstances you had to deal with? Maybe something where it's an announcer doesn't make it on time. Uh, you know, some, some, something where you had to scramble that might be funny to look back on and tell the story about now, but maybe in the time was a little more stressful.
2: Yeah, we always joke that there's, uh, when you're in those moments, this, this will be funny in a week, but it's not funny right now. Um, you know, i think of a specific situation. You know, I've had many where I have a person literally sitting at the table, ready to do play by play of a game somewhere, and I know the person's going to be close. Um, uh and they make it last minute um you know we had a game this past year where someone came and my announcer the the analyst got there we did a three-man booth um so, and, and frankly some of those times I love it right it's when that happens you you find new solutions to things. whether it's hey this person can't make it so this person's going to call it from the play-by-play person's going to call it from Chicago the analyst's going to call it from Minneapolis or um, well, we now have three people on the game. So the analysts will call it from sidelines at the rack, while the, the play-by-play and the other analysts will call it um, from, the, from the booth, and you figure things out. So those are stressful and, I would say, annoying at the time, but 90% of the time you, you learn something that you, maybe you can use in the future.
0: All right. You've also become known around the office for getting some great uh, production truck reaction videos. Um, you know, if anyone has seen a – Reaction video from inside a production truck that probably happened during a big moment in a big game. And then um, you kind of get to see the poetry in motion. Likely, it's likely that video came from Alex Birchie's phone. So what gave you the idea to start turning, first of all, head into the truck. And uh, when you're at these live events and, you know, turning on the, the, the phone, hit and record.
2: First of all, when I'm at the events, I'm always in the truck. For me, it's just much more fun. Like, I I feel like if I'm in the stands or in the stadium, like, what am I doing there? Like, my job is to be in the truck, even though, again, I'm not really doing anything because people are already there doing it. But for me, I grew up in a truck um, or in a control room, and that, um, that to me is where the excitement is. Uh, really, I think that idea came from Jordan Mallow and Chris Malcolm two people we work with who uh, help head up our, our digital efforts. And um, I think the first game we ever did that was was the Penn State um, win over Ohio State uh, at New York in New York for and Tony Carr um, pass um, for the game winner, you know, and I, I think there's some conversation beforehand. Hey, if this happens, I'm like, yeah, I'm there. I'll do it. And it went worked out well. Um, and then You know, I kind of found myself in the right place at the right time, but just knowing – I mean, I have a lot of videos that nothing happened at the end, but um, with – against Iowa, or Iowa, Brian Bohannon, three-pointer against Northwestern a couple years ago. Um, Joe Wieskamp, banked three-pointer against Rutgers, I think, later. Um, But, you know, we've done it in wrestling and softball. Um, It's fun. We've gotten really good feedback from it. It's kind of a – you know, you don't want to put it out for every single show, but, um, you know, I think, you know, we have – we have the you know our MVPs, the people on campus shooting stuff, and I think the the rule for them has always been point your camera um, away from the field, and I think that was kind of the concept for this. And um, so when I'm in the control, and we're in the truck, and something is about to happen, I, I I'm prepared. I think those
0: resonate because it's such a foreign experience for you know for sports fans who are so used to seeing you know what plays out on their screens without really having much of an idea of how it gets on the screen. Like to me, it always is kind of enthralling just because of that, 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 you know, I'm seeing something, I'm seeing, I recognize, you know, what these producers in the truck are doing, but I still would have no concept of if I had to get the, you know, the headset on and do it myself.
2: I mean, sometimes we forget that in our business, you know, it, um, you know, I, I, my guess is there's not many other people that have as many um, tours going through their job as, as my job, right? Like we'll be in the truck or in the control, and it's just normal, right? And we're used to it. And Sometimes we have sticks and how to do it. When there's kids, we can do put the graphics, put their names on the screen. You know, we can have fun with it. Um, I assume accountants don't have that happening in their office most days. Um, so I guess w- when you kind of take a – you sit back and you realize this is cool, this is different, and, and people enjoy it, I think to your point, th- that's why those those videos resonate.
0: All right. So I don't want to compartmentalize too much uh, with the staff at Big Ten Network because we do have a, you know a diverse, wide-ranging – staff with people from a lot of backgrounds. But if, if I had to describe, you know, to somebody who doesn't work there, I would say there's a lot of big 10 grads. And then there's a lot of East Coast grads and people who either were at, um, you know, who came from media companies in New York previously, or were at a place like ESPN. And uh, you're one of those East Coast guys, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a New Yorker, you went to Syracuse, and I think you probably had the, the most stereotypical Syracuse uh, Journalism, sports media experience, imaginable because I think you didn't you have a pretty prominent roommate when you were there who people would recognize. I did not, or you at least cross paths with uh, some prominent personalities while you were there, and it's just like you know people yeah, that I mean, you know because you're yeah. you're a behind the scenes guy. People at Syracuse obviously are are big into sports media, and you uh, you have all kinds of stories of people that you cross paths with that people now know who. In front of the camera.
2: Yeah, I mean, people, my year at Syracuse had a lot of, you know, people I knew in college who are now fairly big names Andrew Catalan, Carter Blackburn, um, Damon um, Adam Zucker. I knew really well in college, a um, couple years older than me, but there's a lot of people who I knew at Syracuse when we were, you know, 18 to 22, um, who are, are pretty, you know, Front-facing uh, in the industry now, and I think it was fun for me, especially as I got to this, um, you know, kind of this position to be dealing a lot more with announcers, um, to to have that Syracuse connection. Um, you know, I will say I do always want to mention when I speak on these things. My wife went to Wisconsin, just went to Northwestern. My grandfather went to Illinois, so I always, you know, joke that like you know there is a there is a Big Ten core to me. But yes, I I grew up in New York, and I and I went. To
0: I don't know why I thought you were roommates of somebody with that, that uh, people will recognize, but you know, it's just maybe all the stories you've told over the, the years, I'm just conflating them and, and the other Syracuse people I've talked to on the podcast and them having uh, some pretty prominent interactions on, on campus there. It's just, you know, it's one of those big J journalism schools that we talked to.
2: And it's fun now, you know, there's a lot of people, um, you know, that was kind of my generation that I went through, but then, you know, um, there's people kind of a little younger than me, the Jason Benettis, Jason Horowitz, my cousins of the world um, who have come through. There's certainly a bond like there is for people who who went to any any school. Um, But it's fun to see people um, coming out of that program to succeed. You know, I do think it's very different now, right? Syracuse, 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of journalism schools. Now, you know, you go to any one of the 14 Big Ten schools, you can be an announcer on Student U and you can be you know, Chris Foster is for us is a great example of doing play-by-play on football, basketball games at, at BTN is, came, from, uh, came from a Big Ten school.
0: For sure. So you start at CBS, stay in New York, I believe. Um, and I didn't know this, but I was assuming your LinkedIn page is correct when I was doing the research prepping for these questions. I did not know that you uh, were a researcher at CBS early on. And we have Harold, you know, BTN's senior researcher on all the time. On the podcast, so you know we've got another one in the fold here. Tell me about how you started as a researcher, and if that was just more a foot in the door, or if that was like kind of your your background um, in college.
2: Yeah, no, I would say it was a foot in the door. I mean, I will not compare myself to Harold Sheldon ever. Um, and but at the time at CBS, I was I knew someone who worked at CBS, got in touch with them when I was in college. Basically, when CBS did games at Syracuse, I would be a runner, literally getting coffee for people. Um, football and basketball games. So that's, I think, a pretty common story for people in this industry. Um, did that every time CBS was at Syracuse during my four years there. Um, and then had to kind of in, send in my resume. At the time, that was really the entry-level production job at CBS. and um, Spent two years in the research department, which was a great learning experience to then kind of be, um, called it a broadcast associate, but basically have an AP, you know, associate producer, production assistant, kind of entry really in the truck for the first time. And then that's when I started traveling, really spent seven years in the truck, probably on the road, 40 plus weeks a year to NFL game, a college basketball game, a golf tournament which is where I spent all my summers. Um, and that's really, you know, what, what kind of got me going.
0: Yeah. And if you're on the show and you come from a place like CBS where you like you said, you're on the road so much, you were, working with a lot of recognizable names, you have to tell at least one story or have an example about a, you know, a brush with big time personalities or athletes, whether, you know, that's, uh, that's on the golf course or uh, at the dinner table. I'm sure there's some, some story that you like to tell, uh, you know, maybe to to name drop a little bit.
2: Well, well, one of my favorite people, you know, we still work with Gus Johnson. I I was on his um, football crew for a year or two and so traveled, Around with him. And so w- once I came to BTN, it was very f- and he was doing games at BTN. It was kind of fun to, to reunite. But, um, you know, G- Gus wasn't quite what Gus is now, wasn't the, you know, the superstar was obviously famous um, and was kind of making his name for himself as like the, really the voice of the FTLA, but he's calling NFL games at a very high level. Um, and um, one of my favorite. When we did football, we were really secluded from the players, right? The teams traveled on their own. Um, whereas, same thing with college basketball. When we did golf, there's a little bit more interaction, just because they were all alone. But, um, no, I always think of a funny story. We had four or five of us out to dinner. Gus was there, and um, I think we were in Carolina or we in Charlotte. I think the Chargers were playing. Um, I can't remember. Maybe the Bills um, at Carolina. Whoever it was. Um, but. Gus was at our table, in walks about 20, 30 guys from the team, and Doug Flutie was on the team, must have been Buffalo. Doug Flutie was on the team at the time, and, and Doug had played in the CFL for a long time, and Gus actually had been a long-time CFL play-by-play guy, and I think really kind of, you know, that's where he became kind of big and known to people, um, I think, before he got his job at, at MSG and kind of stuff. up. Um, but um, Doug came and, and saw Gus there, and I guess they were old friends, and had dinner with him that night. So that was fun. You know, it was fun. You know, this was really at a time where my early 20s when I was, not that I'm anybody now, but I was really nobody then. And to be around people like Gus Johnson, um, Brent Jones was a lot of the 49ers tight end great um, on Super Bowl winning teams. Um, you know, to be with, and, you know, I, I, I can go on and on, you know, Jim Nance, Phil Sims, the people that I, to, you know, really just, be around, um, was, was pretty amazing in Harlem. Um, so, um, yeah, so there were some fun times and especially as a 24 year old kid who didn't belong there to be, um, hanging around with these people who are certainly a lot cooler. And, and, and I just was, you know, in awe of.
0: Maybe it's cause you've you know, been around so much and seen so much, met so many people, but there's, you know, a lot of people in this industry who, Maybe not a lot, but there's some people who, you know, will keep their head down and kind of just handle their own business, and you know, maybe have blinders on. But you're not one of those people when it comes to, you know, taking an interest in other people's work or or helping somebody get a foot in the door, if uh, you know, if someone's looking to break into the industry. Uh, many times, someone will ask me, uh, you know, someone closer to my age will ask me how to you know, get a job at a place like BTN or ask for any feedback on their, their real or um, feedback on their their on air work, and you know i 'm not really qualified to do that, so I pass them along to you and you 're more in a, a, a position to help these people get their foot in the doors uh, anyway in, in a lot of cases so why is that that you, you know, have a willingness to let me kind of pass people 's reels along or pass resumes along or just make an introduction um, because I know there's you know there's plenty of people that I, I wouldn't really bother doing that for doing that with. Um, and I've always tried to do the same thing. You know, if I can influence people or put my finger on the scales, I'll, I'll give people the time of day. So why have you decided to make
2: that, uh, you know, a priority? Well, I, I think, you know, more so than anything, um, as a person who works in the big 10 network, I think we have an obligation to um, to really, you know, to the big 10 students. Um, not, not that I wouldn't do this for someone who didn't go to a big 10 school. Um, but, You know, one of my responsibilities is overseeing our Student U department. Um, Our 14 schools, you know, produce nearly 1400 events a year. And these kids, um, aspiring broadcasters behind and in front of the the camera, um, put a lot of time and effort in this to to make us look good, to to make the Big Ten student athletes look good, um, that we're able to produce events that we might not have otherwise produced. If nothing else, I owe it to them, the amount of time that they put in. But, you know, we all had somebody who, um, who gave us, gave us that opportunity. Um, and you know, our big 10 student, I, I'm so in debt to the big 10 students to work on student you. Um, and if if that if I can have a half an hour conversation with somebody, um, I, I, I think that's the least I can do.
0: All right. Before we wrap up, Bertie, I gotta ask, um, what is the worst Syracuse loss at the hands of a big 10 team that you can remember? Because there's got to be, you know, it's, it's a product of Syracuse's success to, to some degree. You know, they've got a legit basketball program. I know you're a big big fan, especially the, the Hoops program. So what's the, the worst one that jumps out?
2: The worst Syracuse loss to a Big Ten team? I mean, I can think of so many wins over Big Ten teams. My um, beating Indiana en um, on, on route to the Final Four in um, 2013. Um, yeah, I, I was at a pretty big uh,
0: Indiana win that year, or uh, Indiana loss, I guess. Uh, yeah. Win over that. Uh, when Indiana one, was Indiana. number
2: one seed. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, actually, the, the, I'm going to tell you the the two of the big, my biggest, two of the biggest wins when I was in college against Big Ten teams. My freshman year, um, my first ever game, I it was I was at Syracuse. So my freshman year at Syracuse, the first football game of the year was uh, against Wisconsin, um, and. And this is probably not correct, but this is how I remember it. I'm sitting in the dorms, probably late August, early September. I went to a small school uh, in New York City where sports were not important. And all of a sudden I was at this school that had a huge sports program. i was so excited. We're playing against Wisconsin um, in Madison. Hopefully this is true. This is how I remember it. Um, and we run back. Quinn Spotwood runs back the opening kickoff and we're up seven. I I just thought, like, my God, this is the most exciting thing in the world. Um, That was great. My sophomore year, which was Donovan McNabb's senior year, we played Michigan, uh, at Michigan, uh, and beat them badly. Um, That was, that was like, I knew a lot of people went to that game. It was like, well, we are playing, we're playing Michigan. Um, You know, when I was joking, when I was at Syracuse, we were a football school. We had Donovan McNabb my freshman, sophomore year. We went to the Fiesta Bowl. We went to the Orange Bowl. Uh, We won the Big East both those years um, in a time where Miami was in the Big East, and they were good, so. Um, those are two really big, big 10 wins for me. My junior year, Michigan came to Syracuse. It was a prime time game. We were all really excited. Um, and they, and they drilled us. Um, that was, I remember that being a tough loss Did in, in stature and importance of the game. It wasn't that big, um, but I remember that stung.
0: All right. Well, I'll take the wins as a, as an acceptable answer. They have had some big ones. The, the that one over Indiana that you mentioned uh, is, is, is the second case off the top of my head that I can think of of a uh, Syracuse team stopping like a what I thought was maybe a surefire Big Ten Final Four team in their tracks. The other one is Michigan State a couple of years back. Uh, right. I think that was the 10 seed, right? Syracuse yeah, State. that
2: was – well, there was a – right? there, there, we had – the year that Michigan State was the two seed um, and lost in the first round, we were the 10 seed in, in – that should have played them in the second round. We were playing day in the first round. Right. You no, know, we ended up – that was in 2016 that we went to the Final Four. But really, Michigan State, I thought, was the best team in the country. At that point, they lose in the first round. And, um, then,
0: and then Syracuse also beat the Jaron Jackson-Miles Burgess team.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And that was the year we had played in the – we got to the 316. We played in the first four, actually. Um, and then – so won three games in, in a year that people thought that we should not be in the tournament. Um, but, yeah, that zone is tough.
0: Must be nice. Must be nice to be a uh, – Syracuse Hoops fan, you've had, you've had uh, quite a few good memories to fall back on and I had forgotten that you guys were good at football once too and Dino's got you guys back to a pretty decent level or had you guys back at one
2: point. I love Dino love Dino. That, that, that Clemson win um, you know as an alum was one of my favorite Syracuse football wins uh, uh, ever
0: Alright I'm going to wrap it up there. It's enough Syracuse love uh, appreciate you jumping on and explaining what you do and telling some old uh, old war stories, and maybe we will be, uh, you know, chopping it up soon in person. Hopefully, uh, sooner rather than later.
2: I, t- I hope so. Thanks. Good talking, to you, Alex.
0: All right. Thanks once again to Alex and Carter for joining the show. Appreciate their time. Appreciate everyone continuing to listen, as uh, you know, we've all found new rhythms and new consumption habits during the last couple of months. Hopefully you stuck with us and uh, we'll continue to churn out some new episodes with uh, new interviews and, and personalities and continue to try and keep you entertained. Thanks to Julie Bronner for producing the show and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.